to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. So one thing about me is that I am a lot like my mom. As you can see, I look like my mom. Always have. As a child, there was no mistake who I belonged to. And even now, as an adult, I've had people who've never met me, but who knew my mom, recognize me and come up to me and recognize me as Joanne's son. And since my mom is a delight and a joy, that's a good thing. They're excited. They're excited to meet me. I am also like my mom in how we both tell stories which means our storytelling is inefficient, full of tangents, and honestly, we possibly switch to a different story halfway through. Um, And all of this is probably in response to a very simple question that's by no means actually getting answered by the story we are telling you. Um, Sort of a corollary of that is that we talk a lot. I talk a lot, just like my mom. If you've met me, you know that's true. If you've met my mom, no question. My mom tells stories about how um, in grade school, her teacher moved the desk out into the hallway as a punishment because she was talking too much in class. Um, I'm sure that was probably less distracting for her teacher and for her classmates, but I'm not sure it was much of a punishment for my mom to not have to do like math, and instead she could just say hi to everybody who passed her by. Um, Similarly, once I got detention for talking in gym class, so you figure that out. And finally, and kind of most importantly, I cry like my mom. My mom has always been a very emotional and a sentimental person. She cries watching almost any movie. She even cried when she took me to see the Pokemon movie. She cried the day that I stopped pronouncing oatmeal as oak-me-meal. And she once cried when I complimented my sister because as she explained... Okay, sorry about that. But yeah, my mom cries a lot. As, as I said, she once cried because, when I complimented my sister because as she explained, well, you have to love each other, but you don't have to like each other. And then there was my wedding day. On my wedding day, she was a wreck. This picture is one of my favorites. And as you can see, my mom is crying into my shoulder, all while singing along with You Are My Sunshine, the song that we dance to. And now, the older I get, the more sentimental that I, I am as well. And I, the more I cry, just like my mom. Ask my wife, Megan, about it, and she will gleefully tell you about the time she found me sobbing while trying to eat yogurt just because uh, the show I was watching had a father being super adorable with his little girl. Nowadays, as I said, my tears are often more sentimental like that. But I've always been a pretty emotional person. As a child, and even into young adulthood, it was a struggle. I didn't really know how to handle my difficult emotions like sadness and like grief. I would get angry and and struggle to process what I was feeling or how to handle it. I could not suppress my emotions, but I had to feel everything all the time. And the tears flowed freely. I spent a lot of time crying and upset alone in my room because of any number of things that could have set me off. I was a sensitive child, which was kind of the nice way to put it. And sadness and tears are some of the hardest feelings to deal with, especially for, you know, a little boy who's not supposed to cry. You lose control, your face scrunches up, and you get all snotty as the tears flow. And we have all sorts of emotions, as in, and Inside Out, as we saw in the clip earlier, does a really great job of personifying and demonstrating some of our most basic emotions to the characters of disgust and fear, joy, sadness, and anger. Now, obviously, joy is wonderful. Joy is a delight. Joy gives us reason for living, and, and Megan gave a whole message last week about how joy is a gift from God that allows us to have a taste of God's presence a taste of heaven and of eternity. Joy is wonderful. And even fear, disgust, and anger, all of them have their place too. They help to protect us, develop passion, and care for justice. But sadness? What does sadness do? The character of joy doesn't really know what to do with sadness. And as someone who struggled with my emotions for a long time, I, I have to say that, at least when I was younger, I'd agree. 
I mean, because why did I cry all the time? Why did I lose control so much? I felt silly and shameful. I love my mom, but she often seemed a little silly too. So I could relate to Joy from Inside Out. And as the movie begins, Joy sets out to do everything in her power to make Riley, the girl who is feeling all of the emotions, feel happy. But she just isn't sure what to do with sadness, who keeps causing problems for the other emotions. Get ready. This is a monster railing, and we are riding it all the way down. over the weight of life's problems. Ugh. You know what? Let's uh, think about something else. How about we read some mind man? Uh, sadness just ruins everything, doesn't it? What is the point of it? We have all sorts of emotions, but we just aren't sure what to do with sadness. And so I I think struggling with sadness isn't just a problem that I have. I think we all, ex- we all experience it. We all have different struggles. Maybe we feel like we cry all the time. Maybe we bottle it up. Maybe we try to put our sadness away in a little circle, and we don't want to let it out, just like Joy tries to do. How do you handle sadness? I think we're often not prepared to handle difficult emotions, especially sadness, grief, and mourning. Our culture doesn't really like to deal with um, emotion. You know, we want, we want a s- happiness. We want to escape. You know, take this trip and get away. Learn this trick to make yourself happy every day. Buy this thing and you'll never feel sad again. We try to buy and sell happiness so that we'll never have to experience sadness and we can escape our difficult emotions. Maybe you received the message that, you know, men don't cry. Men don't feel sad because emotions are the domain of women and emotion is weakness. And that's just terrible and doesn't help anybody. Um, maybe, you know, maybe we weren't really prepared for sadness as children. We were taught not to cry. We heard don't be a baby or I'll give you something to cry about as if our tears were not valid. Maybe some well-meaning older siblings or cousins, they just wanted to toughen us up. Or maybe in your family, crying was used to produce guilt and manipulate you. And and so we did what we had to to avoid upsetting one another because we avoided conflict and emotion instead of dealing with it. And the the church doesn't always agree with emotion either. Many people of faith are suspicious of feeling that could cloud our judgment and our understanding of God. Feelings are viewed as suspicious and people are told that if they're not carefully regulated, they can lead to poor decisions and relational landmines. So ask yourself, how do you deal with sadness? How do you deal with grief? Is it intentional or is it a remnant of the patterns that you were taught as a child? Do you try to put sadness and grief away? 
When we began our series, Joy in Morning, last week, Megan encouraged us to practice the discipline of joy, um, to allow joy to connect us to God and to others as a taste of heaven. But this week, we're going to turn to sadness. We don't like to experience sadness. We don't want to grieve and to mourn. So what are we to do? The problem is that no matter how we were taught to deal with sadness or how to avoid grief, we're all going to have to deal with these emotions at some point. It's the reality of our world that we all face death at some point in our lives. C.S. Lewis, who wrote many Christian, uh, many books of Christian apologetics and, and many beautiful and imaginative stories that encouraged so many people's faiths, had his own faith rocked and challenged when his wife, who was named Joy, died of cancer. He recorded his process of grief as he struggled and questioned God. And in his reflections, he reminds us that, well, we don't often acknowledge it for all pairs of lovers without exception. Bereavement is a universal and integral part of our experience of love. It follows marriage as normally as marriage follows courtship or as autumn follows summer. It is not a truncation of the process, but it is one of its phases. It's not the interruption of the dance, but the next figure. Death is another stage in all of our relationships. And when it comes, what other emotion is there to feel but grief and sadness? What else is there to do but mourn? For a lot of us, our first experience may have been the loss of a grandparent. All of my grandparents died by the time that I was 20. I barely remember my mom's dad. I was so young when he died. All I can remember of him is, I was, is that I would get so mad. I get so mad at my grandpa because he'd laugh at me, but he couldn't help it. I was adorable and I was an absolutely ridiculous child. And honestly, it was even funnier and cuter when I got mad. But it, it makes me sad now to think that my only memory of my grandpa is getting mad at him. My memory of the death of my dad's dad is a lot more clear. I was a little bit older. I remember coming home from dinner and a movie with my family and just collapsing on the couch because I was exhausted. Meanwhile, my parents went and returned a phone call that they'd missed from my aunt. And from the couch, I could hear their side of the phone call. And, and just from that, I could tell that the news was that my grandpa had died. I remember a little later now, I was up in my room crying and, and talking to my mom. And in my grief, I accused my brother of not even caring. I couldn't imagine that he too was grieving like I was. Now the truth is that my brother was so much closer to both of our grandpas than I had ever understood. And I feel guilty even now that I ever said such a thing about him. My dad's mom died the last year of, my, of high school. Now, thankfully, we did get to see her one last time when we went out to visit a potential college for me. And then a little bit after that, I remember the last time that I talked to her on the phone. My dad and I were both on the phone with her, and I'll never forget hearing her say goodbye to my dad and calling him her baby one last time. Now, my mom's mom was very stubborn and very independent, but my parents finally got her to let them help and agreed to move in with them when I was away at college. But she was only with them for about a month before needing to go to the hospital to have surgery. And then she never came home again. And for the next few months, she moved from hospital to rehab center to hospice. When I came home for Thanksgiving and then, when, and then for Christmas, I only ever got to see her in a hospital bed. And she died soon after I returned to Tucson for college. We've all been touched by grief in some way. Maybe it was the death of a parent, the death of a friend. Maybe it was the loss of a child. Death is deeply sad and tragic and it calls for great mourning and grief. But mourning and grief is not only the result of death. Instead, we experience it in small yet real ways, perhaps every day. It can come from having an argument at home just before you left, or one of your children is doing poorly at school. You're fighting with a friend and the conflict is dragging on, 
or you're disappointed in how a presentation went. You didn't get the job or the promotion that you were hoping for. Or perhaps you're leaving your current job, even maybe for good reason, you're going to start a new one. But there's still grief as you say goodbye. This year alone, there's been a lot to grieve. From canceled weddings, canceled graduation celebrations, canceled birthdays and parties, canceled concerts and events, canceled trips that you'd been planning and saving for for years. All canceled because of the pandemic. Life as normal has been so thoroughly disrupted that you may have that you may have a lot to grieve in this season. Grief for parents struggling to find childcare while still working to provide. Grief for our elders who are feeling isolated and alone. Grief for what we have lost. Grief for the loved ones that we have lost. Sadness and grief are natural. We cannot avoid it. And we will have to deal with it at some point if we have not already. And even if we have, we will face it again. So if grief and sorrow and sadness are an inevitable part of the life that God has given us, then we should not see them as wrong or as bad emotions. They are a part of life. They're just challenging, but they're as much as part of our lives as any other. Now, as I say that though, I do have a much needed caveat because sometimes our grief and our sadness goes far beyond what we can deal with. It can be crushing and it can be debilitating. Depression and mental illness are real and they are intense. It can even be a problem of the chemistry in our brains. But that is beyond what I'm speaking about here this morning. That said, I I do want to acknowledge it and I want to encourage you, if you feel that your sadness is more than you can bear, talk to a doctor or talk to a counselor. Seek help and just know that it's okay and that you are not alone. With that said, mourning is a part of being human. In order to learn to experience our sadness in a healthy, God-honoring way, we first need to accept that sadness is an unavoidable part of life. But we can find solidarity for our sorrows in Scripture. We can read in Psalm 31, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. The Psalms are full of emotion, like joy, anger, disgust, fear, and also, yes, also sadness. David, who wrote many of the Psalms, including this one, was God's chosen king of Israel. He was described as a man after God's own heart. Yet there are songs of pain and of hurt right alongside songs of trust and joy. Psalms reminds us that all emotion is a part of life and gives us examples of how to express it. We read in Lamentations 2, I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. Little children and tiny babies are fainting and dying in the streets. What can I say about you? Who has ever seen such sorrow? O daughter of Jerusalem, to what can I compare your anguish? O virgin daughter of Zion, how can I comfort you? For your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The poems of Lamentations are written by the prophet Jeremiah, who simply had the worst job. Jeremiah was God's prophet in Judah right before and during exile. He was called the weeping prophet and was charged with telling the Israelites that if they didn't shape up and and worship God alone, care for um, the poor, care for justice, if if they didn't shape up and follow God and God's commands, God was going to punish them. That Babylon would come, conquer their kingdom and carry them off into exile. And they didn't listen to Jeremiah. They refused to change. And instead they listened to others who claimed to be prophets themselves and said, no, it's all fine. You don't have to worry about it. And so Jeremiah had to watch his nation as it was conquered and as his people were taken away. 
Lamentations is full of raw and painful emotions as Jeremiah writes to God, expressing his pain and his questions to God. We also find grief in the Gospels. As we read in John 11, then Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, but I believe it is also one of the most beautiful and one of the most powerful. Jesus weeps because his friend Lazarus has died. So in these, these few words, we are shown that even Jesus experienced grief and sadness. Jesus mourned. Jesus wept. Jesus wept because his friend Lazarus was dead. Because Mary and Martha, friends of Jesus and sisters to Lazarus, wept. Jesus wept because death is sad and tragic. A consequence of humanity's sin and brokenness that separates us from God. Jesus is human. And death makes us cry and death makes us afraid. Jesus is also God. He has power over death. Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the, de- from the dead. He is God and he knows that God has power over death. Jesus knows that death is not the end. It was not the end for Lazarus. It will not be the end for himself. It will not be the end for all who follow him. But Jesus is also human. His friends were grieving. His disciples were confused. And Jesus felt their pain, their fear of death, the frailty of their humanity. He knew that he would fix it soon. He would conquer death. But then in that moment, Jesus wept. Scripture is full of grief and sorrow, demonstrating that even the most challenging emotions we experience are a part of life with God. Tears are a part of our humanity. God's chosen king wept. God's own prophet wept. Jesus, God became man, wept. Sadness does not diminish our humanity. It is our humanity. Last week, Megan taught us that the source of our joy is God as we glimpse heaven and life restored with God. The the source of our sadness is that we aren't there yet. Life is not made right yet. We are still separate from God, still separate from one another. The life and joy that we have in God can be tasted now, but it is not permanent. So we feel joy because we experience a taste of heaven. We mourn because the world is broken and because sadness is a part of it. So how can we begin to learn with grief? After we learn to accept that sadness is an unavoidable part of life, we can, we can start to see how sadness is a necessary part of life. Now that might be hard to see. It's hard to see the value of grief. I mean, after all, isn't it just, it doesn't it just take away? Doesn't it just feel hollow and empty? As I shared earlier, I struggled to process under, and understand my own sadness for a very long time. I felt shame for being emotional. I felt wrong that I cried so much. Maybe it was unavoidable, but how could sadness be necessary? How could my sadness be good? Then there came a time um, some years ago when I was really struggling with my shame and I was uncertain how to process my own emotions. For a few months, I remember that almost my default state was either feeling very sad or, or just feeling kind of empty most of the time. I couldn't express my emotions and even had a panic attack in the middle of a forest while at a retreat. And this was the same summer that Inside Out was released. And there were a lot of ways that God reached me and healed me in that season. But one of the most um, important was through this animated Pixar film. I remember seeing it for the first time and watching Joy and Sadness who had become lost in the great expanse of Riley's inner world and struggled to get back to headquarters so that Riley could experience Joy again in the midst of a very challenging season for her as she was moving to a new place, starting a new school, saying goodbye to old friends and an old home. And in the midst of that struggle, Joy comes to a moment of great challenge having fallen down into the depths of Riley's memory where she will soon be forgotten, where she, after trying for all this time to suppress and hold off sadness herself, 
joy begins to cry. that scene for the first time in the theater and I was in tears I was a mess but something was unlocked inside of me God spoke something into my heart as I sat there and God taught me how if we cannot avoid it we can find meaning in sadness sadness is necessary because joy is not possible without sadness. And inside out, Joy cries while remembering the happy memories of Riley's childhood. Her tears come out of her happiness. She would not be sad now if she had not been joyful before because those experiences, those memories mattered. It was because they were good that she now has something to grieve in their absence. We can take away all that makes us grieve. We can take away all that makes us mourn in this world. But that would also take away our experiences of love and joy. The pain is only possible because of the joy that preceded it. If we don't want sadness, we lose joy with it. That is the reality of our life here and now in this world. That may not be an obvious truth, but it is. Sadness is necessary because it teaches us that our joy mattered. Our lives are full of different seasons of a constant rhythm of highs and lows. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is all about the rhythms of life as, as a great teacher writes that there is a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. We need these seasons of laughter and of crying because life cannot just be constant highs because the highs would then become meaningless. Imagine a roller coaster that just goes up, 
A roller coaster that just goes up is just an elaborate escalator. While Joy holds a precious memory of Riley and her hockey team, she realizes that the memory holds both joy and sadness. The joy of Riley's team and of her parents coming to support her is sweeter because of the sadness that preceded it. Our sorrow deepens our joy and our joy deepens our sorrow. Together, they give each other meaning. So we feel joy because we experience a taste of heaven. We mourn because the world is broken. Because the taste of heaven does not last, but that does not mean that the joy was not real. We also learn from that scene how sadness not only is unavoidable and necessary, but sadness draws us together. Riley's team comes to support her because they understand her sadness, because they want to comfort her and they want to lift her up. When I was a junior in high school, we had a tug of war contest between the classes at a homecoming pep rally. I went to a small Christian school and, and there were only about 45 people per class. So we were all able to, able to participate in the game with a long rope that stretched all the way across the school gym. We gathered around the rope opposite the seniors. The rope wasn't too thick, so to get a better grip, I wrapped the rope around my arm like I'd seen a few of my classmates do. And it was best two out of three. We lost the first game, but we, lost, but we won the second match. So in the decisive third and final match, all of us started to tug. Now I was near the center. Um, I was facing directly off against the seniors, but as they pulled us across, but then they pulled us across suddenly and quickly as if most of my classmates had stopped pulling all at once. As I turned around to commiserate with my classmates, I quickly saw why they had stopped pulling so suddenly. I saw blood on the ground as all of my classmates had backed away against the walls of the gym. But one of my classmates, the one who I'd seen wrap the rope around his arm and, and thought, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll do that too. He was standing there just maybe five feet away from me, but it felt like 500 holding his hand, which had been torn through and partially amputated when the rope tightened around it with the force of 90 teenagers pulling. Talk about difficult emotions. Um, there was a lot to process and a lot to handle. A lot began to happen as, as most of the teachers and a, a few of the students even kind of launched into action while the rest of us started to cry and weep. At some point, we moved um, out of the gym while ambulances came to treat my classmates because I later learned that another one of my classmates had also been hurt in the game. And so we started to gather out by the lockers and sit together and to process our grief and our shock together. I remember at one point, a teacher had gathered us together to pray. Um, I, thankfully, I went to a Christian high school. We, we, could, we could come together, we could pray and process. And I remember after, after she said amen, as, as we started again disperse, I just stood there, lost. Um, and I just remember feeling like I needed someone to hug me to help me stay standing. Otherwise, I was just going to collapse to the ground right then and there. And then a classmate of mine, Amy, who was very friendly and, and was very kind, but it just wasn't the person that I was expecting there in that moment, came to me and offered me that hug. I was very surprised, but thankful. Ever since then, um, I'll always consider her a friend. Sadness draws us together because sharing our grief brings us together and helps us understand one another. And I think we see this really beautifully shown in one last inside out clip. 
As Joy lets sadness take the lead as Riley finally shares all of her emotions, her grief, her mourning, and her tears with her parents. I can't, Joy. Yes, you can. Riley needs you. We will. Her teacher hasn't even seen Riley all day. What? What was she wearing last year? You don't remember what... Riley! Oh, we were worried sick. Where have you been? It's so late. Uh. tells her parents how she feels and they share her grief and sadness. Riley experiences comfort, relief, and the love of her parents that grew out of honest expression of her experience of sadness and a new emotion of joy and sadness together comes out. Together, the family mourns the life they left behind and grows stronger from it. Coming together and sharing our sorrow is the simple way to follow Paul's command to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Just as joy and celebration helps us to come together, grief and mourning brings us together as well. We can help to bear each other's burdens and lift one another up in our grief. Pastor and author John Orberg describes the experience like this. When we mourn with others, we share the burden of their sorrow. Nothing has changed. Nothing's been fixed. No problem has been solved except this. They are no, they are no longer alone in their mourning. And that changes everything. We can mourn together. 
we do not have to be alone with our most challenging and our most difficult emotions. It may not fix anything, but it changes everything. Consider your times of sadness and of grief. Remember your sorrow. With that, we can feel for one another and learn to grieve together. And truthfully, that's particularly challenging right now. We cannot gather together. We cannot mourn together in person. But none of us are alone in this experience. And this only increases the importance of how we can come together. So let us take every opportunity to care for one another that we can. To mourn together all that we have lost in this season. So reach out to one another. Call, Zoom, text. Maybe meet in a park where you can safely get together and just sit in sadness together. We feel joy because we experience a taste of heaven. We mourn because the world is broken. Let us sit together in that grief. Just as we can take our grief to our friends, the Bible shows us that we can take our grief to God. Not only that, it shows us that we can take our anger and our fury to God, that we can lay all of our difficult emotions at God's feet because God can take it. God can take our anger. God can take our sadness. Let's look again at Lamentations. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry with us still? Have you ever been so honest with God? Have you ever taken your anger out at God, blamed God for your grief? Have you ever cried out, accused and lamented with God? Because Jeremiah has. Jesus, well, on the cross did so when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God can handle our difficult emotions. God can take it. I encourage you to read Lamentations this week if you've never read it before. It's only five chapters. It's very doable. It is full of raw emotion of grief and sadness over the conquest of Jerusalem at the hands of Babylon and of the ensuing exile of God's people. Rather than God speaking to us in these verses, uh, Lamentations demonstrates how we are able to speak to God with sadness and emotion. Yet at the same time, in the middle of Jeremiah's lament, he remembers where our hope lies. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore I will hope in him. And I find it so remarkable that this passage, which is the chorus of like how many worship songs is found here in the middle of lamentations in the middle of grief and mourning and sorrow and sadness. Hope can be found in God, even in the midst of our pain. And this is because loss reminds us that we need God and sadness draws us towards God. C.S. Lewis writes that this is because pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When we are sad and in mourning, it can be overpowering. We can try to ignore it and we can try to suppress it, but it will leak out of us. We'll be more easily upset or angered. We'll snap at our friends or our girlfriend or boyfriend, our spouse or our children. We will be consumed internally until we turn and listen to it. Because pain, grief, sadness insists on being attended to. We cannot ignore it, but in it, we can turn to God. 
Our grief ships away the illusion that we would be better off without God. It encourages us to turn to God who alone can offer us comfort. We see this in scripture. And in fact, in the time after Jeremiah, in the time of the exile, God's people in exile, they they could no longer cling to a promised land. They no longer had a king or a nation of their own. All that they had was God. And then something beautiful happens. Faith blooms in exile. Daniel comes in exile. Esther raises up in Persia. Ezra and Nehemiah become leaders in Babylon. They all faced challenges. They all faced pain and sorrow. But in exile, they had nothing to turn to but God, nothing to rely on but faith. When we have nothing else to lean on, we can turn to God in our sorrow and we can find our hope in God. We feel joy because we experience a taste of heaven. We mourn because the world is broken, but we can turn to God today. We can find our hope in him. Sadness is an unavoidable part of life, but it is also necessary. And if we allow ourselves to experience and value our sorrow to sit in our sadness, then it can draw us together and draw us to God. We feel joy because we experience a taste of heaven. We mourn because the world is broken because sadness is a part of it, because the taste of heaven does not last. But that does not mean that the joy was not real. So we sit together in our grief and we turn to God today. As we end here today, I I do want to leave you with some practical ways that we can learn to grieve and to sit with our sadness in a healthier way. Uh, First of all, again, I want to encourage you, talk to somebody. Learn to share your story and your grief with a friend. Throughout this morning, I kept turning to stories, whether it was inside out or my own, because stories are powerful. Stories activate our emotion and help us to understand one another. Stories can even convey meaning beyond what we can simply explain. And again, I also want to encourage you to pursue counseling if you need it. Everyone needs to talk to someone about our difficult emotions, about what weighs us down and saddens us. Second, I want to encourage you to pray the prayer of examine. Um, This is a spiritual discipline, I think, that can, where at the end of every day, what you do is at the end of the day, spend some time with God and quietly reflect on the consolations of the day. That is what drew you closer to God and the desolations of your day. That is what moved you further from God. This is a helpful practice for learning to sit with and name your emotions and understand what caused you joy and sorrow from that day. And it can even help you see that sometimes um, sorrow can be a consolation because it can turn us to God. It can draw us closer to the Father. I also want to recommend some good resources. If you are in the process of grieving today, I think you should read A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. It's what I quoted from much earlier in my message. Unlike a lot of C.S. Lewis's other books, he's not trying to explain anything or offer us answers. A Grief Observed is simply his process of grieving the death of his wife. But it's still C.S. Lewis. So it is all of this experience of grief and sorrow, of wrestling with doubt and questioning God, but as expressed... um, by one of the greatest Christian writers of recent history. There is value in having the words to put to your emotions and to describe what you are feeling and to know that others before you have felt what you are feeling too. Another good resource for dealing with difficult emotions well is Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Brene Brown basically has a PhD in dealing with difficult emotions. And in Rising Strong, she offers some very practical practical guidance and wisdom for dealing with our sorrow and our grief and for how to process our feelings and to integrate them into our stories and our self-understanding. And just as God met me in my time of pain and sorrow through Inside Out, God also used Brene Brown to speak to me and to help me to heal. Finally, Do something that makes you cry this week. Last week, Megan challenged us to practice the discipline of celebration. 
This week, I'm going to encourage you all to practice the discipline of tears. It was good enough for Jesus, who regularly went away, found space to cry and to weep and to experience all the difficult emotions that even the Son of God experienced. So read a book, watch a movie, listen to music that makes you cry. Some ideas. Whatever it may be, though, I encourage you to, to do something. Do something that makes you cry. Last week, I watched Inside Out. Um, and I was sobbing. Pixar is very effective at making me cry. So maybe that's what you should do. Maybe you should watch Inside Out this week or watch Up. Up's a cheat code for crying. But I want you to do this because I want you to learn to be comfortable and learn to sit in sadness and express your grief through tears. Tears are beautiful. Tears are vulnerable. And tears are cleansing. And know, as you sit in your sadness, that God promises that weeping and sorrow will not last. Sadness may be part of our lives now, but one day God will restore creation into perfect relationship with God and with one another. All things will be made new. And as we read in Revelation, Scripture's vision for eternity with God, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God. They will be my children. We feel joy because we we experience a taste of heaven. We mourn because the world is broken. But one day our tears will be wiped away. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we turn to you. We sit in our sadness and our grief with you. I pray that we can learn to see our, our sadness as a part of our lives, Lord, by which you give us meaning, by which you make our joy meaningful. You draw us together. You draw us to you, Lord. Grief is not only unavoidable, but it's even necessary for the lives, Lord, that you've given us. I thank you for sadness. I thank you for my tears. I thank you for the emotions that you've given me, even those that are the most difficult and challenging, even those that I've felt shame about, Lord. They are a blessing and they are a gift. So Lord, I I ask that we can turn to you, turn to one another and learn to sit in sadness together, to love and care for one another in our grief. I pray all these things to you in your holy name, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at DamascusRoadTucson.com.